You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. A recent survey found that only one-third of Americans have ever tried to gather and write down their family's health history. To help focus attention on the importance of family history, the United States Surgeon General has launched a national public health campaign called the Family History Initiative to encourage families to learn more about their family health history. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Joel Heller, and with me today is Dr. Eugene Pergament, Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University and the former Director of Reproductive Genetics at Northwestern University in Chicago. We're discussing the current state of genetic screening and the potential impact of family history. Dr. Pergman, how important a role does family history play in one's health? Well, of course, it very much matters what the family history is. There is a great deal of concern on the part of any pregnant patient in particular about the possibility of a genetic condition or birth defect or congenital malformation in the offspring. And usually uh, a pregnancy brings forth a lot of questions about the family history. That alone substantiates why people uh, should be familiar with their family history to not only learn about the possibility of a disorder being passed on or being created, but also to gain reassurance that a genetic problem really is not an issue in a family. There's both sides that have to be uh, viewed in, in that consideration. So let's start with a primary care physician's office, someone that's not pregnant yet, just the general population. How big a, a, a genetic history should a primary care doctor be taking, and then what should they do with that information? Generally speaking, uh, a three-generation family history is considered important. Uh, a person's uh, brothers and sisters, first-degree relatives, mother and father, aunts and uncles, and grandparents. Characteristically, they would ask about the uh, health of these individuals, and particularly for the older generation, what the cause of the death might have been. One can pick up family histories of uh, various kinds of cancers. Breast and ovarian cancer, for example, might be one example. Or alternatively, there might be uh, newborns with uh, congenital malformations and birth defects that might suggest either a chromosomal disorder or a possibility of a single gene mutation being responsible for a newborn that doesn't develop properly. In today's world, how far should the primary care doctor take that initial history and then and decide what to do with it or, or at what point to refer out? Here's where the, the judgment and the experience of the primary physician uh, really uh, comes to the fore. Uh, I think they have to have a sense of the potential or the possibility of there being a problem, genetic issue that has to be resolved in the family. And judgment and experience uh, play a, a large role. Obviously, as in a simple example, if there are more than two individuals with a similar condition <clears throat> that has significant clinical consequences, that probably by itself would suggest gaining additional information. Most primary care physicians would be associated with uh, an academic center which has uh, genetic counselors and uh, geneticists, and it doesn't take much but a, a telephone call and a query as to whether or not this requires further uh, follow-up on the part of the primary care physician to, to a genetic center. So as we talk more about when patients need to be passed off or given more information is available in the primary care's office, obviously as time gone on, we, we have a much greater understanding of the genetics behind many diseases today than we did 30 years ago. 
So we've moved beyond, although I think it's important that we talk about the things that we first started with, which are the genetics of things that I, I think are associated with certain ethnic groups. Can we talk a little bit about that? It's been now recognized and becoming a standard of care that certain ethnic groups are at higher risk than others for specific conditions. Long known is the association of sickle cell anemia with African Americans, thalassemia with people of the Mediterranean area, Greeks and Italian, and of course among the Ashkenazi Jewish constituency, the incidence of Tay-Sachs and Canavan's disease are standouts which do require on the part of the primary care physician and or the obstetrician caring for such patients, carrier testing. Among uh, African Americans, the risk of being a carrier for sickle cell is about 1 in 10. Uh, Among the Ashkenazi, a carrier for Tay-Sachs is about 1 in 30. It's been recently recommended that all Caucasians be screened for cystic fibrosis. The risk of being a carrier among Caucasians of cystic fibrosis gene mutations is also about 1 in 30. It's on that basis that that's becoming more or less a routine, conventional kind of testing, depending on uh, one's ethnicity. So as an OBGYN, quite frequently these things came to you when patients were pregnant or or in the direct preconceptual stage. What, What do you think the proper time in the ideal world would be to institute testing for these things? The ideal time, it has to be an adult. We Geneticists stay away from testing children. and They've done some studies with uh, um, the high school population, but primarily in Canada and possibly Europe and not in the United States. It does seem to me that when one gets uh, married, uh, and in certain ethnic groups, uh, when they consult with their ministers or their priests or their rabbis, it may not be a bad time to raise those issues of being screened for or tested at or around the time of getting married. Now, the real world turns out to be a little bit more difficult because insurance companies, in particular, many of them refrain from willing to reimburse for those who are not pregnant. So many times we're faced with the fact that the testing has to be done on a pregnant patient in order to get medical coverage. That's part of the real world. How expensive are these tests if, if you're doing them in an uncovered uh, by insurance way? Individually, they range anywhere from two to $400. And among the Ashkenazi, there's at least almost a dozen of these conditions, and the prices have risen to uh, nearly $3,000. But individually, I would say somewhere between two and $400 each. So you get this information. What do you do with it? For most of these conditions, both potential parents have to be carriers in order to be at reproductive risk. So the way in which the programs of carrier screening operate is that they test one, usually the female partner, uh, to determine if she is a carrier for the particular condition under consideration. If she's not a carrier, you simply stop. If it turns out that the female partner is a carrier, you test the uh, male partner. If both of them are carriers, then, of course, there is at least a 25% risk or a 1 in 4 risk that they will have an offspring with that particular condition, uh, as I say, under consideration. Um, And that's considered by geneticists at least a very high risk. And many and most people in that situation usually would consider prenatal diagnosis, either first trimester CVS, chorionic villus sampling, or 
amniocentesis. Is there a one-to-one availability? In other words, for everything that we can screen for on the parent side, can we test for on the fetal side? Yes. Once you have your hands on the nature of the mutation, it doesn't matter who you'll be testing, and it doesn't even matter what cell type you use. DNA is what's the source, and it doesn't matter where it comes from. But once you have a handle, so to say, a biochemical or molecular handle on a particular mutation, then it's available at all levels. We screen, and if the screening comes back positive, and of course this is all optional to the patient. Yes, of course. Um, and then we test, and we test the fetus, and we find out a yes or no answer. Are any of these diseases amenable to anything being done about it, or is it just a question of the parents knowing or not knowing? It varies on the nature of the disorder. For some, knowing beforehand that the child will be born with this condition allows you to optimize the care of the child from the very beginning. So many, many times there will be conditions, um, cystic fibrosis may be an example of that, the data isn't solid yet, but it's suggesting that the earlier we recognize the possibility of cystic fibrosis and begin to treat it, the more positive will be the outcome. So being warned ahead of time does many times allow one to tailor the kind of therapies and the types of treatment to prevent the negative consequences associated with many of these conditions. There are some conditions like Tay-Sachs that's a lethal condition. There's no treatment. At this point in time, we know that they're not going to survive more than six to 10 years under the best of circumstances. But even in those conditions, the child is very much compromised health-wise, mentally and physically in terms of their development. And this is not a treatable condition. So there are extremes in, in these. It depends on the disorder. And of course, then counseling always has to be a huge part of this, both before and after testing, so patients know what information they may get and what options they will have and what choices they may have to make once they have the appropriate information. I think that's the whole point, that even prior to undertaking a seemingly a simple thing as carrier testing, um, they should be counseled about what the nature of the disorder is and what the consequences are if they find they are a carrier or they're not a carrier. And unfortunately, in in too many instances, uh, patients just uh, hand over their blood and uh, eventually are told you're a carrier or not a carrier, and and many times they may not know what they're getting themselves into. So you can wind up with a a dilemma when if something comes back positive for a patient that's not fully prepared to deal with that information. That's a potential problem that you would like to um, not have happen because it's kind of gut-wrenching to sit and hear people talk about why did they do this and they feel guilty and they feel you know they've been their health has been and their mental status has been compromised by such an experience is there any concern in the reproductive genetic area of, of of a brave new world as we find more and more things that we can test for there is always this question of selecting for various kinds of traits and the newspapers in particular, are usually very good about emphasizing very uh, explosive type of matters we're going to select for intelligence and uh, athletic skills and mathematic skills. And 
you can potentially talk about that, but the reality is that we're not very close to that kind of uh, an approach at all. Can you recommend for uh, for a primary care physician a good source, a text, a website uh, that they could use in their everyday practice? The best thing that I could suggest is sort of to Google things, to be very focused about it. They probably should Google for a specific disorder that they might be interested in rather than a, a general text. Um, there are some general genetic texts, but I think the primary physician, is he, like everyone else, has got a certain amount of time that he can devote to a particular issue or a problem. So I think it has to be rather focused and being able to bring up what looks like a pretty good description of what the condition is. Most of those are fairly reliable. I'm, I'm not talking about parents putting on web pages, but I'm talking about professionals putting on web pages. I'd like to thank Dr. Eugene Pergman, who's been our guest today. We've been discussing genetic screening and family medical history. I'm Dr. Joel Heller, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.